something that has always fascinated me are views of cities. Being able to see the skylines of all these beautiful cities. I look at these pictures. I see them on Instagram or Facebook, and they're just beautiful pictures. In Chicago, you can see one of the most beautiful skylines in the world. All these skyscrapers rising hundreds of feet in the air. You can see all these cars littered all over the road. You see the lake. It's beautiful. During my time in Kathmandu, I could see similar views, though much different. During our time in Nepal, we spent about a week and a half in Kathmandu, which is the capital. And the hotel that we were staying in was about six stories high, so it was, it was one of the taller buildings in the area, but still not skyscraper high. And we were given access to the roof, so naturally I spent a lot of my time on the roof just thinking about things. And during one of the times that I was on this rooftop, I can recall it was, it was about 9 o'clock at night, so it was, it was dark out. And I was looking out over the city, and I see all these buildings. Now in Nepal, the, the buildings are painted a little bit differently. Now in America, usually you see one of like three or four colors. It's black, gray, blue, whatever. You don't see a lot of variants from that. But in Nepal, you see all kinds of colors. They do pastel pink. You see blue. You see yellow. It's all over the place, and it's, it's really interesting seeing the difference between the two. Now, it was night, so I couldn't see these colors as well, but one thing that I could notice were these lights, lights everywhere. I look down the street that's in front of us, and it's lights everywhere. There's lights on hotels, lights on restaurants, lights in these little trinket stores. I look further, and I see lights on the hospital. I see, I see lights on the temple. I see lights everywhere. And it is, it is beautiful. It's beautiful seeing the difference between all these lights. That's such a weird thing to think about the difference, but all of these lights are so much different. Some are big bulbs, some are tiny. Some are bright, some are dim. Some are bluish, some are yellowish, some are white. Now some of these are far away, some of them are close. It's just all these differences, it's incredible. But something that I thought about as I was sitting there on the rooftop was all of these lights, they, they have something so different about them, but I, I've never thought about it before. But here I am on this rooftop and I realize all of these lights were turned on by different people. All of these lights were, they were turned on for a reason. Now it's about 9 o'clock at night, so... I don't know how many people were in bed at that point, but it's just realizing that someone turned it on and that person's probably still awake. In one shot, if I took one picture in that frame, there'd be thousands of lights, just all of these lights. That's thousands of people that are still awake. And I thought about those people. I thought about their dreams, their hopes. I thought about the experiences that they've had. I look back at my own life and how, how rich some of the things I've been through have been. I look at my life and think about all the movies that I've watched, all the music that I've listened to, and realize that all of those lights corresponds with a person. And that person, 
they've watched movies, they've listened to music, they've, they've experienced life. They're breathing. And when I look out over the city of Kathmandu, I keep thinking of these thousands of people that are still awake, that are still thinking about things, still thinking about tomorrow, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. I keep thinking, how many of those people know Jesus? And honestly, that thought, it scares me. I'd like to share with you one of the most heartbreaking things I know. And although I don't like to acknowledge it, it's the truth. And the best thing we can do with the truth is expose it. So I'd like to expose the truth real quick. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle writes this. We're looking at chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's tough. Looking at the beginning of that, for all have sinned. When we think about that, when we analyze who Paul is talking about, we have to realize that he's not just talking about his audience. He's not just talking about the Romans. He's not even just talking about himself. Who he is talking about is me, is you, your parents, your bosses, your teachers, your mentors. He's talking about all of humanity with one exception. Everyone. It's, it's not some, you have sinned if. No, it's you have sinned. And that's heartbreaking. That's so hard to look at. And then he goes on to say, fall short of the glory of God. You know during the Summer Olympics when they're running the track and field events? One of the ones I kind of like to watch is the high jump. During high school... You know, never really got into it, but it's kind of fun to watch. I kind of enjoyed watching it. And when the Olympics come on, it's one of those things that's just so mesmerizing because I don't get how they do it. These people jumping seven, eight, nine feet high, I don't know, it's just crazy. And I'm reminded of those, those times that we watch it and we see people fail. Every time I... I'm watching one of these events and I see the person fail, I get this, this thought in my head. How terrible that must feel. How terrible that must be to spend your entire life, to go through middle school, high school, college, training as hard as you can day after day after day just to reach this point. This person getting the honor to represent their country them preparing years for this moment only to arrive in that field to look at that pole that they have to clear to run at it with perfect form jump and they don't clear it they fall short I think about this and you know maybe I think too much but it it sucks and that's frankly the 
the same thing that we're all in. The same kind of, you know, we're trying as hard as we can to clear the pole, but we can't do it. That bar, we're going to hit it every time or maybe not even hit it. We're so far under it. That's what Paul is talking about. And the even harder thing to think about is that in chapter 6, verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. Telling us that all have sinned. And because of this, all of us owe a debt to God. A liability. All of us are responsible for what we've done. We have to pay a penalty. God's just. We can't just escape our sin there's sin, and we need to pay for it. In James 2.10, we find out that the way the law works is that a single mistake is equivalent to breaking all of the law. So because all of us have sinned, no matter how small it may be, no matter how minute of a, of a law that we broke, if we have broken the law, we have sinned. We have sinned greatly. Therefore, our debt is great. When I look out over the city in Nepal, and I see all these thousands of lights, I just keep thinking, and I keep thinking, and I keep thinking, these people are dead. They've never known hope, they've never known peace, they've never known Jesus. How am I supposed to live knowing this? Like, how am I supposed to sleep knowing that these things are true? After my brother's death, about six months ago, we were given the opportunity to see his body before they cremated him. When they opened the door to that garage, this dirty, small little garage, I kept thinking, am I ready for this? Can I handle this? Am I going to pass out? Am I going to freak out when I see it? I didn't know what to expect. I'd never seen a dead body before. As the funeral director led us to this area and told us that my brother, he lay in a room that was only one door away. I was nervous. Then when he said, Ashton, it's time. I braced myself and I walked into that room and I saw him. I saw my brother's body and if you've ever seen a dead body, you know what I'm talking about when I say that it's almost like they're sleeping. A dead body and a sleeping person don't look that different. So when I walk in, I see my brother. At first, I have that instinctual feeling of He's sleeping. And for half a second, I'm almost tricked. I almost believe it. And during that half a second, I, I brace myself with that feeling of, oh, what if he's going to scare me? You know what I mean? Like when you're walking by someone that's sleeping and you get that feeling of, oh, what if they jump up and scare me? What if they, they get me real good like at a haunted house? When you're walking through the rooms and you see that clown on that, that chair and you're like you know what I know they're gonna scare me so you you clench your fists you get real tight you're like they're not gonna scare me they're not gonna get me this time 
and then you walk by them and they completely scare you and it's it's kind of fun but whatever I had that feeling it's like I knew in my head and I knew in my heart that he was dead but I didn't get it I didn't understand it and the Bible says that we are dead in our sin what it means is is that we're we're zombies it means that we're we're alive but we're not living we're so dead and I think that when we look in the mirror and we ask ourselves honestly are we alive that we quickly come to the conclusion that we're not because look around look at everything that you own is that gonna last forever no it's in a state of decay the car that you own it's decaying the the frame could rust your engine could break down, your wheels could pop, your windows could break. Everything we have is in a state of decay and it's approaching death. We see it in nature, we see it in the buildings that we're in, we see it all the time. Yet we're foolish to, to believe that death is just a one-time thing. We say it's just a one-time event that it's at the end of our life, and that's all that death is. But what we miss is that death is the state of being that mankind is in. Like in science class, when they tell you, you know, solid, liquid, gas, and whatever else, plasma. Um, and they, they tell you that that's what death is to us. It's where we are. It's what we look like. It's how we move. It's how we think. This is the path that all humans are on. We're on a path to destruction, to death. And we need to be urgent about this because this, this is not a good thing. And because of this death in all of our lives, we, we can't have any peace. But there is hope. There is hope despite all of our failures and all of our sin and all of the times that we have pursued something that isn't God. There's hope. See, all of us have stories. Stories that have been written since the day we were born. Stories of heartbreak. Those times that we've been cheated. Those times that we've been hurt. Those times that we've been, we've been broken times that we've broken people and that we've hurt people we all have stories but we have hope because God has taken these stories and he's changed them he's taken our failure and our hopelessness and he's given us redemption and reconciliation he's seen that we have all gone down destructive paths and he has made a way That way is Jesus Christ, his son, who was sent to earth some 2,000 years ago. He taught. He healed. He did nothing wrong. He was blameless and perfect. Yet, at the end of his life, he was accused by the ruling powers of his day. 
he was sentenced to death. They tortured him. They crucified him. And he died. During this time, he suffered the full weight of God's wrath. Now, not many Christians like to think about this fact. Not many Christians like to think about God's wrath. But here's the truth. God hates sin. God vilifies sin. He thinks sin is as bad as mud is to white clothing. He thinks of it as blood is to snow. It stains, it ruins, it disgraces his name. And the thing is, the wages of sin, the debt of sin, is not only death in life, but it is an eternal death. This eternal death is filled with the horror of God's wrath. That terrifies me. It makes me feel uneasy. It's the, the images of fiery lakes and demons and pitchforks and all this stuff. I can't take it. That, that terrifies me. And this, these things that terrify me, this is what Jesus endured. Why? Why? Why did he go through all of this for us? What was the point? If he was perfect and blameless, then why should he take the fall for us? Exactly. Why should he? It's unfair. But he did it for us. He did it because he loves us. He did it because there would be no other way for us. This debt could not be paid by anything but a perfect sacrifice. God is just. That debt had to be paid somehow. And it was. Through Jesus' sacrifice. That is why Jesus stepped in and died for us. To pay this penalty, to pay the price that we owe. That's why the gospel seems so strange. Is because it's this story of us walking away from God, us spitting on the face of God, us going completely against God and going our own ways. But God still loves us. God still chases us. And he wants us home. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. That's why he died. To bring us closer to him. Very often we like to imagine life as like a line. On one end we have birth. On the other end we have death. And that space in between we like to call life. The thing about God is that very often he likes to take our stories and our ideas of what life is and what things are and how things should be and he likes to flip them. He likes to change them up a little bit. See, we believe as humans that what our lives are is life until we die. But God likes to flip it. We don't live until we die. Rather, it's from death until life. 
And this life is found in Jesus. See, because when we, when we find that life, the, the life begins to enter our bones, the breath enters our lungs, the blood begins pumping again. We are revitalized. We're made new. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was a perfect sacrifice. He paid the penalty for our sins. But when I say that he died for our sins, it's, it's not as simple as he just died for our sins and that's it. No. It's like a gift. See, someone could give you the greatest gift in the world, but if you don't accept it and you don't receive it, it you don't get it. And it's the same way. Except this is literally the greatest gift anyone could ever give you. John 1.12 says that, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. All they had to do was believe in him to save them. If you believe in Christ... If you're acknowledging your sins and repenting of them, then you will be saved. Now we got to think about repentance in three stages. Because that's, I mean, that's how you receive the gift. You got to repent. It's in three stages. The first is you got to know what you've done wrong. You got to acknowledge your sins and realize that you need Christ. The second one is you have to repent. You have to confess your sins. You have to get on your knees and pray to God. And when I say get on your knees, I mean that kind of metaphorically. Like, be humble about it. Have humility. But I also kind of mean that literally because I think that's a good way to pray. By the way, you got to humbly repent of your sins. You have to confess them. Otherwise, you know, if you're, if you're proud about it and saying, God, I know you're going to forgive me. That's all cool. I mean... You know, here's what I've done, but you got me, right? Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. It's got to be humility. And the third part is turning from our sins. That's the true meaning of the word repentance, is to turn. You have to turn away from your sins and toward Christ. You have to turn away from your own interests and towards the interests of Christ. And doing this, you will be saved. It brings life. When we do so, we're given life. We become his children. And when we are his children, we receive an inheritance. A holy inheritance. We receive the riches of the kingdom. Imagine, you know, some some of you people might be in this boat. Your parents own a pretty big business or they... They're a part of something big and you get to inherit a large portion of it or all of it. And maybe, you you know, you're excited for that money, you know, kind of a bad way, like, you know, mom and dad's going to die, but, you know, you're excited for that inheritance. When we become children of God, our new father is one that's running the greatest business that there ever has been. And we receive that inheritance. We receive the kingdom. That's what happens when we become children of God. We receive the kingdom. We receive all that God has to offer. And trust me, 
That's way more than you could ever imagine. And when we accept Jesus' sacrifice, that means that we find life. This story that we have of life until death becomes death until life. And this life that we have is promised in abundance. The Bible tells us that, well, yes, we will experience a hundred times more persecution and suffering. We also experience a hundred times more blessings and happiness and richness of relationships. That's what we receive. As I look out over the city of people that may know Jesus' name, maybe went to church, but probably not many have. I'm filled with this passion to share this with people. And that's ultimately what a changed life looks like. It's sharing Jesus with people. It's sharing the word of God with people. Why? Because we need to follow the greatest commandment and the greatest example. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus responds to the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask him, they say, what is the greatest commandment? Because they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him to, to say the wrong thing. But Jesus responds and he says, the love of your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. To love your God. This is the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. If the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor, then they're pretty important. That's why. Because these commandments are, are the foundation of my faith, the foundation of my heart. Why else? Because the greatest example ever set is Jesus Christ. Do you know what Jesus Christ did? He had mercy on the crowds. He loved people. He healed people. People that didn't deserve it. People that lived lives so far away from God. He loved them. He loved them despite the fact that they did not deserve it. And he loves you and he loves me despite the fact that we don't deserve it. That's why I say what I say and that's why I do what I do. That's why a changed heart should look like this. And I know that some of what I've been saying is pretty dark. Talking about death and talking about destruction and talking about wrath is, is not fun. It's not pleasant. But that's the truth. Because I don't want people to keep living in death. I don't want people to keep living this way. I don't want to see that. I don't want, I don't want that. And the thing is... When we experience the love of God, death has been conquered. 2 Timothy 1.10 announces that Jesus has destroyed death. Our addictions are killed and our pasts have no hold on us anymore. In Daniel, back in the Old Testament, in chapter 7, 13, and 14, writes this, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You know who he's talking about? Yeah, you probably can. You probably know that. It's Jesus. And that's our king. So if our king's kingdom is one that never passes away, then we can rejoice. 
we should give God praise because no matter what happens, no matter who spits on you, who curses you, who says you're worthless, because there's going to be people that say that, people that believe that, that you are not worth anything. Even when we hear these things, we can just rest in the fact that our king is on the throne. Our king is, lives forever and will last forever and that he has all the power and authority and glory and honor. That's what the gospel is. It's death until life. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of God coming down and loving and saving. Praise God for what he has done. And praise God for what he will do. Thanks for listening. Done.